0: And we're back from the block to the boardroom, baby. Yes, yes, yes. Another beautiful Sunday here. How you feeling, Brother Trev?
1: Nice, beautiful Sunday, man. We we're on the eve of a of a wicked storm. I'm hearing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm hearing on our News 12 weather, weather channel. that it's some some wicked snowfall coming our way. Hopefully it's not too crazy.
0: Hopefully, but we should be good though. We should be good. Let's let's get into it. We got I'm, another special guest joining us. I'm today. A,
1: I'm a little jealous of our of our guest, man, because he's in a place where there's going to be no snowfall tomorrow <laughs> at all. He's out there in that good Cali weather.
0: That's how it is. They said that's the yeah. You're gonna get a
1: night. Jesse Martin, what's up, bro? What's up, brother? How you feeling? Good, man. Good. Jesse and I go way back, man. Jesse and I um, worked at J.P. Morgan together. Um the way time flies, I'm gonna say about eight years ago, Jess? Mm. Like the, first time, the yeah. first time I was a rookie fresh out of Binghamton when you were interning, right? That was the first summer we linked and then you joined yep. the firm after you graduated. And that was, I want to say what, that was summer 2012 or 2013, 2012, right? Yep, summer 2012. 2012. Yep. Yeah. So we go, we go a ways back, bro. But thank you for coming on here um, from the Block to the Boardroom, episode 12. Uh, there's some topics we want to get into for the culture this uh, today that we feel like you have a, a good level of knowledge on. And there's also some dope things that you're doing, um, entrepreneurial space that we want to share as well. So appreciate you making the time to join us today. Looking forward to this conversation. We always open it right. up. We we really value Black men's mental health. So uh we're going to kick it off. I'm going to ask Dr. J first, and we're going to pass it around to you eventually, bro. I want you to definitely chime in Feel feel at home with us, all right? What up? Sounds good. Cool, cool. Dr. J, how you feeling, bro? Talk to me.
0: What's going on, brother? Uh I'm feeling pretty good. Last night I had an impromptu visit from one of my cousins that lives out in Pennsylvania. We're all real close. We grew up uh being a very close and he moved to rural Pennsylvania for a long time, like outside of Pittsburgh. He spent a little bit of time in Tampa. He came back and we don't really, we, so it's been years of really being able to mix it up with him. And then within the past two years, he moved much closer down there by out in New Jersey, not too far from Great Adventures. So we've been trying to make an effort of seeing each other now more. And he had been talking about just pulling up to Brooklyn one day and last night randomly, he just hit me and was like, yo, I'm trying to pull up to Brooklyn. You gonna be here? And I was like, yeah. And then my other cousins hit me up and, we were just all together, you know, and it, it was good to just have him here. You know, everybody goes through things, and sometimes we forget that we aren't alone. I often like to tell people that the devil's greatest trick uh, is really convincing people that they're alone. Mm. Right? It's not convincing that he doesn't exist. He wants you to exist. It's right, just convincing right. you that you're alone or whatever you go through. Right, right. Uh, so it's always good to hear from him. Is And when you have somebody you've been that close with for so long, it's just a trusted confidant. You can just put energy and things that you're going through and bounce it off of them with no problem. So having us all here together was great. I made them watch American Skin, which was even better. Nice, nice. Uh, so that's really where I'm at with it. I got out of a big decision I need to make work-wise that I'm thinking through. And I think getting my mind off of it and having him here was a good thing.
1: Nice, man. Family family always renews the soul, man. It's It's nothing like it. Um, I'm going to actually after we finish recording, after we leave the studio, I'm going to head over to Queens after this, um, go check my mom, make sure she's good and just has the snow blowing and everything ready for the for the snow tomorrow. Sure. Then um, one of my best friends growing up, um, Barry and his older brother Renford, their mom was like an aunt of mine. We all grew up together. Her mom celebrating our 65th tonight. So um, that's going to be in Long Island, not too far from from Cambridge Heights. So looking forward to going through that. There's a book that I've been reading, and I've—I read the—I've been doing the Audible version because I just really like the narration. For me, with an audio book, it's all about the narration. If the person speaks like you guys remember that commercial, Clear Eyes, that guy, monotone. <laughs> yeah, if, if it's monotone like that, I'm out. But when there's a good narrate, I'll tune in. And this this book is um by a black woman doctor uh, psychologist, Doctor uh, Rita Walker, and it's called the Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health navigate an unequal system, learn tools for emotional wellness and get the help you deserve. And um, it's just great outlook, man. It's a it's, it's great outlook. Uh, I think the key thing that I like about the book, and we speak about mental health here on the show. And one thing um, as a psychologist uh, that she that she speaks on is that sometimes we may seek mental, help, uh, mental health help, but it's very important that we um, possibly try to get it from a doctor who looks like us, because one thing she does a good job in explaining the book is that the black, um, mental experience, particularly in America is different than other demographics, other races. Um, there's a, there's a chapter that really touches home that all three of us would agree on right now, where she's really just talking about the stress of code switching, imposter syndrome, things of that nature, um, feeling worthy in certain spaces. And, and, and this particularly could, could relate to UJ in the medical field, corporate America, um, Jesse even with stuff like with ideas that you're pitching, things of that nature. And, and it could be taxing. You know, a lot of us we do it with ease. You know, one minute when we kick in it, we talk in one way. Then, you know, in, in the field of uh the workplace, we're talking another way, but that eventually plays into other parts of your mind and and and, and is tolling after a while. But man, very, very well written book. I'm almost done with it. It's not too long. If you do the audiobook version, the audiobook is only about six hours worth of a listen. So the read is probably not that many uh, pages. But um good book, man, good book. I always like to start the year off with a read like this. Make sure that the uh, I have good mental outlook going um through the year. Um, I will say at points throughout the week, the week was a little tough, but um easily was able to sway back in. You know, we're getting close to the um to the one year anniversary of uh, my pops passing on. That's on February third. But um yeah, man, I I just found myself doing some of the stuff that, that helped me even last year. Um re rewatching The Godfather, one of his favorite movies. Um, rewatching the tribute video that, that we made for him that we played um, during the repast last year. Different, different things. And that's another reason I'm gonna make sure I see my mom said is that when I go see it today. But um, yeah, you know, naturally as you get closer to that anniversary point, it gets a little rough at points. But I'm thankful for family, just the different things I have that could just, you know, pull me back to where I need to be and and, and just keep keep going on the uh, on the journey. Jesse, we're gonna transition to you, good brother. What how you feeling? Where's your head at? Um, I'm good, man. I'm on a I guess a
2: kind of a readjustment after um, you know a tough week. Um, I was producing a, a music video remote um, that was being shot in Brooklyn while I was here in in Cali. So just like managing people like across the country and like trying to um, you know just deal with like the time adjustment and and communicating with a bunch of different personalities. I think the mental health thing definitely comes into play there. Cause you're dealing with different personalities and people, everybody's in a different mindset and everybody has a different cadence that they like working towards. So, you know, but, but, but I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm unwinding, getting ready to get back to it.
1: And when you say you're overseeing a music video that's being shot in Brooklyn, but you're over there mm-hmm. in Cali, what, what's your role specifically? Are you kind of like the overall project manager of it? Um, you know, explain to us how you would be able to do that from, from afar.
2: Yeah, yeah. So just, just um, like clearing up the the fact that people say like what a producer is on a TV show or, or a movie or a music video, you can either be the person that's like on the ground, being that project manager, organized everybody, or you could be, let's say Drake and Euphoria. Drake didn't hire anybody in Euphoria, but he put money towards the project. Um, so then now he's a producer based upon from a monetary um, perspective. So even for that me, that's the air of it. I, that that could make you a sponsor. Yeah. That can make you a producer also. Yep, you can get gotcha. a producer credit for, from being a sponsor of a project from just financing it or even just putting your name on something that allows people to sell it um there was like a um there's an announcement recently that um steph curry is going to be a producer on the good times reboot like mm. steph isn't about to be picking out who's in playing jj Walk. i mean he could have a say right. in it if he wants but well, he's, he's not utilizing to his it. name, utilizing his name for cache to get the project mm-hmm. off um and from in my case i was um i hired the crew um they said hey um you know we need crew to, to be able to shoot in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Um, they didn't, the production company that wanted to do that it was from LA. I was like, yeah, I got people in Brooklyn that can shoot it. So I'm hiring the crew, I'm picking the people out. I'm um, the sound guy, um, the, the DP, the person actually like filmed it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hiring those people and I'm putting them in place and making sure that they're, they're staying on schedule and all that. Got
1: it, dope, dope. That's good stuff, man that is good stuff um another thing that we're in the we just passed the one-year anniversary of um the one-year anniversary of the great kobe Bryant passing away jess i know that you are a big hoops fan we used to play a little hoops down in delaware all the time and i know you balled up at maris um the lakers were able to pull that championship down in the bubble i feel like a big motivation for that was doing it for kobe and so far the new season Um, is rolling, rolling, rolling pretty well. Uh, There's been a few star players who have had to step out due to COVID-19 procedure, but for the most part, we um, have had a pretty good season so far. I know there's some talks with Chris Paul um, as he's the president of Players Union, talking about uh, what they're gonna do for the All-Star game and possibly doing it in Atlanta, Um, having everyone come to Atlanta and, and raise the money for HBCUs, which will be dope. But just wanted to pick your brain on just, one year later, here we are, how it's affected the game and, and just the sports world overall. Maybe just, and, and actually, no, I mean, the world period.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not a, a guy that's really big on like celebrity death or like saying like a celebrity affected me unless I was actually like a part of it. And like Kobe was one of the first ones that really hit me actually having grown up in, you know, the era, right? Like, I you know, um, I remember when, you know, Drake has a, a line where he says, I never cry when Pac died, but I probably will when Hove does. And um, that yeah, was yeah. so real because he actually grew up on on Hove and like he was too young to really appreciate pop. And I think like going through, um, you know, situations like that, um, I was in, I was at Sundance in Utah and I didn't even want to like continue the trip when when, um, when Kobe died. And I think it affected a lot of people like that, not just because he died, but also because, um, you know, he lost his, his daughter in, in the same way. So I think a lot of people, right, you know, right now are being way more appreciative of their, their um, the league really came together um, a lot of people were, were coming out and like supporting Kobe and. Um, I think the the unity within the league like really got stronger after it. True
0: Jay thoughts. Uh, I feel like it just made people pause a lot more and appreciate certain things you know, a lot of times we think our heroes are going to die when they're older, especially once they retire, you know we still got Michael. Even though there's a whole generation that's NBA fans now that never saw Mike play, we kind of felt like it was gonna be the same way with Kobe. So it just made people appreciate them even more. I hope people appreciate things like LeBron and him playing now, even in like year 18, 19. You know, you are not gonna see this again. We did we're not gonna see what Kobe did again. So made people appreciate. Uh I also feel like it just makes you reflect on your own life. Like I When they asked Kobe why he take helicopters all the time, and he was like, Sometimes it's the only time I get to spend with my kids, like the drive to school or picking them up back home. You know, like I felt that as somebody who's really busy. It's certain days where the only time I see my daughter is the time I take her from picking her up at her house, at her mom's house, to when I drop off at daycare. Mm. You know, and, and I understand how much that means to me and while I still go do that even though her mother is much, much closer to the daycare. So, you know, for us it makes us reflect on family, appreciate that we never know when our time is up.
1: That's real. That's 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 definitely real. You know, um definitely want to send all our condolences to uh Vanessa Bryant and family, Kobe's parents and and anyone who uh loved and respected the man. He definitely left quite an impact. And I'm sure as the year's go on, we'll continue to remember not only the, the basketball player, but just just the person he was, the motivation that, that he was. Um, Dr. J, I want to segue over to you. I, um, I know there's been some updates recently since our last episode regarding um, the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, Johnson & Johnson had made some announcements with some trial results, and um, there's some new updates there. So take us away, Doc. Let, let, let us know. Let the good people know what we need to know about uh, vaccine um,
0: updates. Absolutely, so we know we're still in the midst of the pandemic, and we know that one of the ways that we can potentially get back to normal is through the vaccines and having a significant portion of the population vaccinated. So what we we have now, we have the two vaccines that's already out, Moderna and Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson comes out, and some of the attraction to Johnson and Johnson was that it was a single shot dose, and also it can be stored at regular refrigerated temperatures because right now the Pfizer and Moderna need special mm. refrigerators for the type of cold that you need to have them at.
1: I'm assuming that that would raise cost as well, because you, yes. need, you need special
0: transportation. Okay. Absolutely, special transportation, special storage. storage. Okay. You know, and then also there's the fear of waste when you remove it from this deep freeze that it's already in. Mm. Whereas Johnson & Johnson, it's at those normal temperatures. Like right now you can go outside and sit the Johnson & Johnson vaccine on a stoop and it'd be fine because of how cold it's in New Got York. You. Okay. So um, it came out, and the, and I'm going to just read some of the notes. So just so people know, the Moderna and Pfizer are 94, 95% effective against the US strand, meaning the strand that was in America when it was tested. Uh, Johnson & Johnson, uh, their vaccine one, it's 100% effective in preventing death. But we don't want to just prevent death. We want to know if people are actually going to get sick. So it's 72% effective in the United States. And 66% effective overall at preventing moderate to severe COVID-19 after moderate to severe symptoms after 28 days. It's 85% effective overall in preventing severe disease and demonstrated complete protection against COVID-19 related to hospitalizations and death as of day 28, which is pretty good. Uh, Protection against severe disease across geographies, uh, geographies, ages, and multiple virus variants, including the SARS-CoV-2 variant from South Africa. Uh, it was showed protection and that was at 66%. So pretty much, you have to understand that Johnson & Johnson's vaccine wasn't primarily tested in America. It was tested often in Brazil and South Africa, Okay, right? And when you think about the percentage of participants in those studies, right? You're gonna have a higher participation of black folks, because Mm. it's South Africa and Brazil, or I should say African descent. Mm. Um, But also, they were tested during this new strain that we're worried about. Mm. And for for those who don't realize, once we start hearing about a strain, like, for instance, we kept hearing South Africa strain and the uh, Brazil strain, but they found people in America that tested positive that didn't travel anywhere, which means that it had to be in a community for quite some time in order to get to them. Right. So it means that it's circulating around. So um, in my eyes, although that Johnson and Johnson is not ninety-four, ninety-five, understanding that it's almost a truer tester because of where it was tested at. Right. It wasn't tested here in America, where a lot of places have been under lockdown, under lock and key. But being up to ninety-four, ninety-five would be good anyway. Right. Also, understanding the breakdown of the numbers, anything over fifty percent is good. So the Moderna and Pfizer at ninety four ninety five was amazing. Like, they're absolutely amazing. So Johnson & Johnson still being at the 85%, 72%, is still very good and beyond what they wanted. Meaning the flu vaccine hovers around 50% effectiveness that we get every year, right? A lot of vaccines are down to those numbers. So Moderna, Pfizer, amazing. Uh, Johnson & Johnson is still good. The attraction to them is it's still a single dose they're doing another study to test a second dose. My guess is just going to be that a second dose is going to bring it up to that remarkable 94 95 like Moderna and Pfizer is, which is probably why theirs is so high. Um, And then also everybody is looking at the possibility of developing another strand of a vaccine developing another vaccine to specifically treat the two strands that we have now. And in the strands that we have now, they're more transmissible. They're not more deadly. Mm. So meaning, if you didn't know what was going on, when people would ask you, when you travel somewhere and a tracer would call you, yep. they'll ask you stuff like, were you around somebody for 15 minutes or more to catch the virus? Because they figured if you're around somebody that amount of time and you all within a six-feet distance, you're more likely to catch the virus, right? So... The new strand might be, and I'm not, this is just a hypothetical guess. It might be that being six feet or more may not be as effective, right? Or it might be that in under five to 10 minutes, it's more likely that you get, um, that's it. It's more likely that you get a, you you can develop the virus, right? So keeping those things in mind, um, but also I know what it means for me as a scientist standpoint, it's interesting what you all would probably think about it.
1: And, you know, and, and shout out to you. You've done a lot of good stuff with um, holding seminars with um, through, through your, your various associations with even just helping to dispel myths and just, and just spread the education, like you said, and and speak with um, Black New Yorkers, um, not, not even just New York, because the, the Zoom call you had with over 300 people was open. So I'm sure there are people from even outside of New York, but not just speaking at um, people of, of our community, but speaking with us, you know, so, you know, You know, shout out to, um, you know, that's why we need people of color, men of color, women of color like you in the medicinal field so that we feel more comfortable with a lot of knowledge going out and we're a part of the conversation as opposed to being told what's going on afterwards. But I'm very curious to continue to hear these updates and, you know, we hope for some return to normalcy. Jesse, we're gonna segue um, to a topic that uh, you and I often talk about in our in our chat. You know, we have our, our Black Wall Street chat, where we, uh, a couple other colleagues of ours, where we talk a lot. And um, you actually had sent me the invite. I remember, I just, I slept on it for a little bit, but you sent me the invite a while back last year for this application. And this application is called Clubhouse. And um, Clubhouse is still in the beta testing phase. It's it's not even actually at the, the final um, launch of the app yet, the formal launch. Um, It's all been user sharing, you know, that that's how they've built up their base, Um, but it's valued at a billion dollars. It's valued at a billion dollars. There was a misconception that Clubhouse, I don't know if because maybe so many different, um, for for variety purposes, business, education, just social topics, a lot of black people um, have kind of been the momentum, if you will, of pushing Clubhouse. So I guess that led to kind of a misconception that Clubhouse was a black owned app, which is, which is, which is not the case. Um, Master P had recently spoken about this and when it's happening, and he said it with other apps before, and it's just been, um, you know, kind of mentioned like how long are we going to continue to, um, you know, help propel these applications, these platforms, and then try to ask for a check after the fact, as opposed to being a part of the incubator process from early, building our own platforms, investing in our own platforms, we're already there. You know, we're always trying to play catch up. We're trying to get in on the financial side after the app's already launched. Um, and at that point it's like, okay, if I'm part of the, the founder, founding groups, like I, I could compensate you, I, I, I might not, I don't, I don't have to. You know, I, I could, I, we could argue, we could debate what really led to the momentum of the app being there. But um, just wanted to, you know, kick it off, bro, on the business topic, your, your thoughts on the application, um, where, 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 where it's headed, where, where it is now, but also even more so, I know you're involved in this, just the whole VC culture and the incubation process of developing apps and pitching ideas and things like that and how we can get more involved with app production and just the production of certain startup and tech ideas earlier. especially the ones that, that, especially the ones that we're developing?
2: Um, Yeah. So, I mean, like, first of all, like Clubhouse, they had some type of, all right, so so first and foremost, like when it first started, it wasn't for like what it's become now, right? So now you have like all your favorite influencers that are on there um, hosting um, rooms where some, you can, you can literally be in a room where somebody's talking about relationships. You could be in a room where somebody's talking about how to make a million dollars, or you can be in a room where people are literally just trying to date each other, right? Um, but it started out being just a conversation between the VC world. It was literally just investors would go on there pitching their ideas within their own community and then talking to each other. And then um, it kind of like evolved as others got onto it that had like the ability to, to drive the conversation. Um, now, uh, one one thing that is, true about the app is there is some black ownership in it. So so Chris Lyons is a um, is a black uh, he's one of the black principals at um, Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the largest yeah. VC firms um, in in, um, in the world. And he led around where he got a lot of um, black entrepreneurs like into the app. Like, so some like some big names do have like very small equity into the app, like obviously not a majority stake, but, you know, a small minority stake wow. in it. Um, I think I think what happens where We get more involved up front. It really comes down to like, what does the space look like? And the VC world, there's not that many Black people in general. Um, I think that's being changed a lot now. Um, Example being, a lot of um, some of the, so to even get into the VC world, you have to have a lot, a lot of money to be able to spend on an application or idea from Jump Street. And generally in our community, as Black people, we don't have as many people that have that type of capital. But now, for example, Kevin Durant, having his own VC arm, Nas having his own VC arm, like people in the black community that have actually been able to develop um, a lot of capital for themselves are turning their eyes towards VC now and looking to start to put money into this community because this was a community that historically speaking, we didn't have access to. So I do think that that's where it's really gonna start, starts with money um, because in general, like if if you think starting a hedge fund is risky, VC of a venture capitalist fund is even more risky because you're going to get 100 of your of your return on like one good idea. You're going to put your money in a bunch yeah. of different applications, and then a bunch of them are going to fail, but you're going to make all your money back on this one that that's going to pop. Um, you know, so VC I, is I, I really think it's-
1: arguably it's 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 more so the passion of providing yeah that incubator for up and coming ideas than it really is someone looking to turn profit because as you mentioned. For every successful app we hear about, how many apps are pitched or funded that that don't hit, that don't reach the market, that don't that don't take off? I don't think a lot of people realize that aspect.
2: Exactly, that's what you really, like. You know, you're way you have a way better chance of starting a fund and just events, and just investing in the stock market than you do um investing in a bunch of random um, ideas in, in the VC world. That's why, like, even if you have um, like if you were to start an application tomorrow, right? Let's say you're in. You're, you're in Binghamton. You're literally like some small town kid. Hey, I have a vacation idea in Binghamton. Like the first thing that, that you would tell this kid, don't go to Silicon Valley because they're not even going to hear your, your pitch idea. Go to Silicon Valley once you have 5 million subscribers and you already have an audience with that. It's like build right. build your audience wherever you are and then take, and then one, A, if you have your audience that's large enough, those people with money will find you. But B, if you actually want to go out there and just kind of try your try your luck at it, um, you know, for us, we have to build our base individually first. And I think that's a, um, that's a big issue that we felt that, that we, um, fall in our, in our own black community, as far as like looking at creating our applications from the ground up. A lot of times we don't actually, we don't, we'll, we might create it, but we'll create it after something else already has popped off. Right. Like Netflix is right. very, very popular, but there is an urban flix. like urban flicks exists. It is, it's a, a black-owned streaming platform like there are multiple black-owned streaming platforms but we're gonna go and you know second we do anything it's going to be hot because that's just how we drive culture but it's just like it would take a, a credible amount of unity to say like hey we're gonna t- put in put in all of our attention and our money into the black owned
1: thing you know right i mean so so you mentioned chris lyons um i'm familiar uh, he he plays a role in clubhouse um so so going off what master p had said and, and you kind of touched on it who are some of the other, and I know you mentioned, um, I know Nas has um, Queensbridge Partners, 35 Ventures, KD. Who are some of the other people in our culture that are really pushing this space that um, our listeners and just the, the public should be a little bit more aware of to look out for it? Who, who are the drivers in this um, VC incubator space that look like us, that we should be aware of? Because as you mentioned, it, it would take a great deal of unity for all of us to just strictly focus on keeping it homegrown, keeping it indoors. Um yeah. and and that may be difficult to get to. But also I think the knowledge we can continue to push that conversation of who's actually doing these things. Um if you could if you could drop some gems there, I think I think that would be great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think one person that you know I've been following for a while because he's um he's one of my old colleagues that I worked with at Goldman. He's his mentor it was uh a uh, Rashawn Williams and you have follow him on Instagram because yeah, he's got yeah, yeah. big yeah either you
1: or Z put me on. Yep. Yeah, he's the one that, that, that talks to a lot of a lot of NBA players, NFL players about things yeah, to do so, with their investments and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's so he has a
2: historical banking background, but then he fo- he, took, he turned his focus to VC and he specifically focuses on entertainers because, you know, we have so many of uh, um, the entertainers in our com- in our community that, you know, we don't want them just to spend their money on, on whatever. Like we rather turn their money to, to to the VC world so where they can start putting money back into investments that can help them long term. Um, So yeah, so Rashawn's a big name that like he helps a lot of um, individuals raise money and um, and be able to push the the culture forward there. Um, There's, I I think really having an understanding of like which other firms are out there too is important. Like, you know, I I mentioned Andreessen Horowitz earlier. Um, I I mean, you could go through and look at Sequoia is another um, large VC back firm. So if you have an understanding of like, where Andreessen Horowitz is doing and what Sequoia is doing, then you can learn about um like Calendly. Um, I don't know if you, you, you ever, if, I don't know if you ever like send out, you know, Zoom invites where you're sending out like, invites oh, to, to join You're talking calendar. about the
1: Black-owned Calendly.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, So yeah, Calendly is a Black-owned application. You yep. know, like, so they, these guys were able to raise, they've attained a $3 billion valuation, you know, from right. Black-owned, uh, you know, from Black-owned perspective. Um. Brandon Bryant, um, who known as Wall Street Paper, like him and him and uh, that's um, Harlem Capital, right? Exactly, the and they started yep, Harlem yeah. Capital. Um, so they, just, you know, I they just
1: partnerships started, with um, some big banks. I think they got Bank of, of America. with Apple.
2: Yeah, yep. yep. Um, ten, Apple's um, agreed to commit ten million dollars to any of the new companies that they want to invest in. So you know, if you, anybody nice. had any ideas, being able to go and, and show their um, sh- show any of their, their, their pitches to them is a big way that you can start to gain funding um you know richard kirby is a guy that runs this thing called stealth mode where you're able to to get a lot of um um he's able to get the ear of of a lot of people within the vc space so so there's definitely some people in the culture that that um you're able to reach out to and and talk to or at least to get, get the opportunity to um know who they are so that you can take your idea and actually take it from inception to getting funded, which I think is um, something that is really challenging for a lot of individuals just to not know where it is they would have to go
1: once they have that, that, that golden nugget of an idea. The know-how, the, 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 the knowledge capital, I think that's sometimes our biggest shortfall. We talked about it a lot in our last episode with the black currency, we were just talking about before even having generational wealth, having generational knowledge knowing these who, yeah. who these firms are who these people are knowing these key contacts having access to them too you know it helps when you're building you know some kind of app or some kind of platform and you're only two degrees whether your dad knows someone or a family friend who's in that space who could then you know get you to have a sit down with a big funder or some someone of that nature but I, I do agree with you. I, I, it's, it's good that those names that you mentioned, and I do think uh, technology is helping us to get more connected to these players, and I, I really do hope that it continues to uh, expand, particularly in our field, particularly for our creatives and our tech minds who are, who are building out a, a, lot, a lot of dope ideas. I want to segue to something that um, really captivated um, the news this past week. Um, sometimes when things of this nature happen, finance and, and, and the stock market can really grab the attention. And, um, you know, for, for those of us who used to play uh, Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas, 2K back in the day, um, I haven't really been a gamer like that since in, in a while, probably since around like 08, around there. But I will say that GameStop was huge, you know, prior to the whole idea of streaming video games online, GameStop was was, was a huge firm, uh, a, huge, a huge business, uh, AMC. You know, you think about AMC, you think about going to the movie theater. I know the movie theaters have taken some hits through the rise of streaming and the pandemic has definitely affected the movie theater market even more as uh, movie theaters had to shut down um, during the pandemic. Um, Blackberry was another one, Nokia. Everybody remembers playing Snake when they was a little kid on the Nokia phone. But there were some older companies who, it could be argued that they were pa- they're past their heyday now. 2021, they're past their true Earning power heyday um, as companies and hedge funds have been um, shorting these companies and we'll go into more specifically what that is. But hedge funds um, have been shorting these companies as it's a shorting it shorting something that you feel based upon research is highly likely to you know drop in value is is a good move of you know helping to secure your fund and and what most hedge funds do is that they have a lot of pensions a lot of retirement plans. Um, they're, they're responsible for these funds for a lot of people. So their goal is to make their fund competitive and continue to bring in funds to then make sure that the people who are invested with them when they're ready to pull, you know, they, they, there's something there, you know, there's, there's, it's a good something there. You wouldn't want to invest your money with the hedge fund that's stagnant or things of that nature. People are looking for growth. So specifically, I think it was Melvin Capital, it was, it was one of the large hedge funds that was taking out a lot of shorts um, on GameStop in particular. And then we had what was joked on known as the rise of the Reddit investor, where you know retail guys, um, you know someone like myself, someone like Dr. Jake, someone like you, non-industry, normal investors started coming together, um, whether on um, internet platforms or I, I'm sure there's various mediums they did it over. Reddit was the one that was uh, most commonly said, but started coming together to derive a plan to basically squeeze the short of what the hedge funds um, were doing. And that would totally actually reverse the trajectory of the stock price instead of driving it down, start driving it up. And that just led to a a long spiral of events this past week, Um, even so much so some trouble from uh, the company Robinhood who is responsible for almost a doubling of retail investors. I was reading that there was 10% of the market was retail investors in 2019. Um, through the rise of Robinhood and just, I guess, the pandemic, people having more time, people looking into how they could grow um, and augment their their finances during the pandemic, it, that went to 20%. It doubled in the year 2020, and, and a large portion of that, you know, wasn't through your TD Ameritrade and your other brokerage um, firms. It was it was through Robinhood. So you get to the point where you know these events pass, and then some people were trying to uh, access their account, make some changes. Change positions, and they were getting locked out, um, and there was a lot of backlash from that. Um, without you know turning into an economics professor, good brother, can you please walk us through the uh, events that took place last week? A little background, um, where we are currently, and where we're headed, and, and and what should also some people keep their mind on for for the long haul? Because one thing I've tried to explain to people, I, you know, I don't, I don't have all the knowledge about the market, but. Um, one thing I've tried to explain to some people is that the GameStop, the AMC move, even the the BlackBerry, Nokia move, um, you know, some folks hit a lick, you know, but don't think that hitting a lick is sustainable. You know, like don't take your eyes right. off of other solid companies or other or upcoming companies that you can make money from down the road. You know, like this is not this. It's a lot of this was derived. This was contrived. I should say this wasn't a, 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 a thing due to something new that GameStop did in their business plan, which, you know, shot up a valuation or anything like that. You know, this was, you know, a very, this was a moment in time. And if, and if you were aware, you took advantage and you might've got something. Um, but if you could just speak to that, bro, it would be greatly appreciated.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, first and foremost, we have to, you know, I would wanna say that, you know, you, ex- you explained it, you know, beautifully, like that's exactly what happened. Um, people short a stock basically, so when you either, you know, when you short a stock, it means, that that you're you're betting on it to to go down in value you know and, and when you um and when you do that you buy up the shares for a lower for um for a lower price and then you try to sell it back to to whatever that that lower price is than whatever it currently is being traded at um but if, it, the, but if the stock goes up then you're stuck with these stocks with the stock price goes up then you're stuck with these stocks at a much higher price than whatever it whatever um that contract that you bought is is it's valued at and so then you're stuck with it and you have to pay, pay that all that's why Melvin Capital right. had to pay off $13 billion in shorted stock, um, essentially why GameStop was even chosen was because one of the Reddit um, individuals had had noticed that. Um, so when you look at certain stocks through different, um, there's different mediums or like there's like one website called like Finiz or F-I-N-I-Z or there's other like other places that you can go where you can see how much a position is shorted. Like, I like just like you can just Google that. Right. And so one of the Reddit individuals said like, yo, for some reason, people are really betting for, they're, they're really shorting GameStop, like heavily shorting GameStop. more than like-
1: Yeah. Right, right.
2: This, and this, this, more this than what is even rack. makes logical sense. Right, and more than what, right, right. They're, and they're putting themselves in a really, really rather, relatively like, dangerous position. But, um, so let me just take a step back here before I even continue. If I tell you that, you know, this pin i don't have a pen right now but if i had a pen like if i tell you that this phone is worth five dollars and then you're willing to pay five dollars for it then it's five dollars but if you say that and then you know johnson is says he'll pay ten dollars for it then automatically that's the value of what that phone goes into now that's just supply and demand based upon price right now if i was to tell you that this is literally the most innovative phone ever like looking into it it actually will increase your productivity Now we're talking about like the actual intricacies of the phone. This to me is the difference between looking at, hey, invest in Apple because it has a strong place in the market, they have a lot of cash on hand, their balance sheet is very strong, that's why you should invest in Apple. If you're investing in GameStop, you're investing in it because a bunch of people just told you to and the price is what it is because a bunch of people put their money into it and now that's what the price is. Which is, when you look at the difference between those two things, that's why what, what happened this week should not have happened. Right. So logically on one hand, right, logically and fundamentally, it just doesn't make sense. Right. People don't go to brick and mortar stores. We don't like you can buy games on your PlayStation 5. You don't even have to go to a store anymore, you know. So I think that, you know, what I would really encourage, um, especially new traders, I think I read that like a lot of, you know, just like you said, like new, a bunch of these people that are investing are just all new traders. Um, I wouldn't be taking the bet on like some of the other names like Nokia, um AMC, um naked brand, like these are these companies that historically speaking have no reason to be making money. They actually called the CEO of GameStop and they asked him, like, hey, like, were you guys doing something differently? they're like, no, we have no idea why our valuations going up. Because they really didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so you know, you still should be investing and in, in protecting your portfolio, investing in companies you really believe in, like that that makes sense, right? Like Tesla, that, um Biden passed a bunch of um a bunch of um legislation that says that they're going to go towards electric vehicles. So yep. Tesla has is a really good position in the market. Um, you know, the companies like McDonald's, they're not going anywhere. Um, Apple obviously is in a great position. Microsoft is in a good position. So like these companies historically still make sense to invest in. So I would definitely like encourage people to like do, do, do their due diligence and still say like, Hey, I can protect myself by investing in these companies. And then if you have money to really play with, then jump into some of these like right. um, retail um retail risky plays and the biggest difference between now and the, the, let's say like 2005 or, or even earlier in, in the 90s is that is, is information like that's the key is information mm-hmm. right. it's so, so accessible story, way more accessible now right we have the twitters and the reddits and these are platforms there's a thing called discord which are discord groups or it's like an application you put a bunch of people in and then people can start talking about any type of topic we have access to this now so a bunch of people can actually band together and say like hey like so this hedge funds, you know, let's say they, they're valued they're value at a billion dollars and they're placing like five hundred million in the market. Maybe one guy can't put five hundred million dollars in the market. But if, if one guy gets. Five hundred thousand people to put in a put in a million dollars collectively, then you actually have the power to move the market. And we actually have a the opportunity now with the way information is, is given to get our voices out to that many people at one time. And that's what changes. Um, what's going on now and that's why it's so like historic that that many people are able to band together. I was like, I was thinking of, a, you know, I was talking to my friend about, you know, like jokingly, like, yo, if we could actually have black people to like all hop in one like Reddit thread and collectively do one thing, just like that they were able to to short a stock, we'd, yeah. <laughs> we'd be much better off. Absolutely, <laughs> much yeah. better off. Absolutely, so,
1: but let me ask you this, cause you, you touched on historically. So the, so the last thing before we segue off for this topic, um. I'm always very um, particular when I when I when I decode news narratives, right, and certain verbiage being used. And it's funny, like, you know, from CNBC, um, there was a constant verbiage of manipulation. Now, when I say manipulation, manipula- manipulation on the side of the Reddit guys, quote unquote, that's what that's what we refer to them as. And, yeah. you know, you know, it was also argued like manipulation, hasn't the market been controlled and manipulated by the industry since the, since the invention of it. Um, and then, you know, we even joked about it in our Black Wall Street chat, um, AOC and um, even people on, 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 the Republican party as well had kind of come together with this idea saying that they want to, you know, start looking into, you know, the matters of the market even more. Um, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts kind of like with just this longstanding, standing nature of, at the end of the day, you know, we were, the, the common man was able to have a moment over the industry. But at the end of the day, the, the, the sentiment is that politicians and the, and the government is gonna protect the system, which is the industry, the, the, the large, um, you know, financial firms, the hedge funds. Because one thing, if you even think about it, New York City Department of Ed, um, MTA, these large um, businesses that employ lots of people, those retirement funds and those pension funds, funds are held by hedge funds. Yeah. So you really don't want to see the fall of the hedge funds either, because there's a lot of people, teachers, people who work in hospitals, a lot of working class people. Their retirement that they're looking forward to is in the hands of these hedge funds. And that's why these hedge funds are you know, doing what they're doing, planning it, because they're, they're trying to grow while making their money, of course, too. They're trying to grow the um, the investments of all the people who have their retirement accounts with them. So where I'm going with this is, what are you, just your thoughts with um, po- politicians possibly take wanting to take a deeper uh, lens dive into just what's going on with the market? Are they even really going to do anything per se? Switch up any rules and regulations? Because I I personally just feel like at the end of the day, their whole purpose is to ensure that the powers that be, the system that's that 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 that's, that stands continues to continues to uh, govern and, and stand at the way stand the way it is. Yeah. And like, let me be perfectly clear. Like I'm on the side of the Reddit people
2: for the, for the standpoint that like, I'm totally for being able to find a flaw in the market, take advantage of it and then make him off of it. I'm with that. Like we should have the freedom to do so. And then what Robinhood did that was wrong was once a bunch of people are trying to take their money out, they stopped them and people were forced to lose money because of time that that it took right. for them to wait and then take their money out the the um the well, let, let me let me interject something just
1: can it be argued that Robin had to do that regulators or the government could have stepped in and, uh, and, and, and Robin Hood had to okay. you know start to um you so, know, so know to democratize and make it a free base but had to play a role so that, that likely what happened because there's a um there's a company called
2: Citadel and Citadel is used as Robin Hood's clearinghouse, and I it was said that Citadel actually was the drivers that said, "Hey, stop this," right. because I mean, it's in the end of the day, it's just like I don't know if you've ever bet, but like when you beat the bookie, the bookie doesn't pay you as quickly as he asked for his money back. You know, right. that's just that's the way of, of the world, right? So, you know, they never expected to be able to have to flush out, you know however many million dollars to all these random individual like retail investors so citadel who's clearing all these trades and clearing all this money and it was like all the like, oh, horses like, right yeah. right like, like relax like we have to figure this out um but i'm on the side of, of the reddit guys for that then now the other side is what you're saying right it's like you know the reason people are wondering like oh well they're doing all of this but like they still haven't given me my stimmy check Right. Like they're, they're, they're way quicker to bail out a hedge fund than they are to bail out the, the individual man. And the big reason for right, what right. you're saying is that bailing out a hedge fund is saving a bunch of different Americans, like a lot of Americans, when you're saving one individual or one, you one know, hospital worker that happened to bet big and mm-hmm. got her money and was trying to get her money. Like, that's why that system kind of works that way. So I get I'm on the side of the Redditors, but that's the reason that why, like a lot of people aren't um, I'm not totally on the side of like, well, this is why they're trying to bail out this hedge fund. Though that being said, there was news that came out that Nancy Pelosi's um husband, I think it's either her or her husband, they yes. haven't mentioned it, but like it showed her trades that she had done, right? Like she had already she had put on call options for like Tesla and stuff. So if you're if you're in working where you have access to legislation and you have a call option on Tesla, which means that you're Be betting for ahead. that that go up, then Be you're going you're pretty incentivized to say like, all right, I'm going to make sure that. EV is pushed to the mm-hmm. pushed to the forefront of all the um of, of the agenda of the political agenda. So people always know what's going on. Like they're very aware of ways that one they can manipulate the market in a way that's going to be beneficial yes for the people but also for themselves. And then two, um, they have know-how and information like I said before. That's what's really all about information. They have the information first so they they're able to prepare themselves to to act on that um, to, to make them to make themselves money. So not, that, I think that's really what's going to come down, it's just like, yeah, like, so the SEC is going to have to step in. I think it's going to be a big thing about, um, they're going to start limiting um, how much people can buy, because I don't think they're going to stop it. One, they're going to utilize it as a way to say like, hey, I'm protecting you just in case, you know, you can't short so many, you can't short a stop so much, and that will stop you from losing too much money, but also going to say, you also can't make us too much money. They're going to try to regulate the market that way, of um, which I think, you know, there's a, there's some positives to it, but there's obviously some negatives. I think what they should do is they should also limit the, the shorting of hedge funds as well. Because I think that that's the part that's really tough, right? So if I'm GameStop and like I'm not in a good position to, to move forward as a company, if my stock starts getting shorted continuously, then I'm losing money and I'm also losing time to even re- react to the fact that I don't have an advantage in the market. When right. if the if you could limit the amount that hedge funds could short me, then that gives me more time to say, all right, I can make an application that will make my business. Possibly struggle, change you know, my business, yeah. Possibly change my business. Like I'll get a little bit more time because mm-hmm. my stock isn't getting drastically shorted, like, and I'm getting pushed out of the market. So I think that that
1: should also, if you're gonna limit the people, also limit the funds as well. Limit limit, limit in, in the industry as well. That's a good take. That's a good take because yeah. it, it, it can make businesses more competitive. Um, you make businesses
2: more competitive and, you, you know, you give a, a T-Mobile or a Nokia time to even adjust and actually compete with the apples and such. True.
1: Before they just have to bow out or have to force a merger. They have to bow out. Value, whatever the case may be. That's, that's a good take. Just yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we both come from the finance world. That's where we met. But you've done a lot um, entrepreneurial also, even outside of investing, um, with one of your passions, which is film production. You mentioned even just last week, you were um, the project manager and overseeing a video which was being shot in Brooklyn last week while you you are are remotely in L.A., and you've also um, been working with um, producing some short films. Um, You and uh, Dennis had started Campsite Studios, it's called. Yep. Campsite Campsite Studios. Um, Talk to us about that, bro, because, I mean, that's... We've always spoke about it. We speak about it in our chat. A lot of us brothers who, you know, majored in economics, finance, these different fields, you know, we're good at math. We could do these things. We understand business. Um, our personality makes us good presenters and things of that nature. But our true passion might not be there, right, in in five day to day. Uh, you know, with me, it's music and other things. Um, you know, you're a music head as well. But, you know, you're developing film. And 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 things related to to media, um, which which is a dope you know um, passion, but also something that you're able to monetize off a dope side hustle, you know. Give us some insight on what Campsite Studios is, um, stuff that you've worked on, and, and what's in the pipeline.
2: Yeah, you know, So you know, as you mentioned, me and Dennis, um, who's a childhood friend of mine, we both um, played ball growing up. Um, you know, since middle school. Um, we, I got, well, what it, the backstory is around, um, and this speaks to music as well. Uh, we, I was in like my freshman, my, no, my right out of college, like my, so my senior year in college, I graduated and Dennis said, you're like, trying to help me make this short film. I didn't know anything about making short films. I was just a guy that used to like, I would leave basketball practice. I would go home and I'd watch a movie. And then people just asked me like, what, I, what I thought about movies. And he, instead of asking me what I thought about the he said, yo, you're trying to make this movie. And I was like, yeah, sure. So he made this, um, short film. It's called Black Theory. So it's um, it's on YouTube right now. And it it ended up doing top 20 in the Viewster Online Film Festival. It was like the largest online international film festival. So at that point, I was like, oh, shoot, I guess we could keep on making these. Right. And like that, you didn't get any money for that. That was just literally just we shot shot it. We put it out there and it got into a film festival and we did it. And that also, if you watch the film, the end of it was actually the Brent Fias song. Because Brent Fias is from my hometown as well. And, and that was, um, that was the first time we ever also, like, speak, speak on it, Brian.
1: I know y'all some DMV cats. Where's that at? Let, yeah. let us know where you guys from. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. I grew up, a grew up in Maryland, you know, the DMV. Okay. Uh, so, you know, some, obviously there's a lot of hoopers that came out of there, but it's also a lot of like creators that came out of the DMV and Brent Fiaz was, went to our, he went to um, a rival high school of ours and, in our latest short film, his brother's in it, and then he gave me, he gave us our um, a song for our first short film, um, which is pretty dope. So essentially we moved on from that and then made a series of other short films, but actually making these short films, you're saying like the way that, to monetize this would be one, to sell the specific content, and then two, to sell our services as a production company. Um, mm-hmm. So one of our short films was um, in 2017 or 2018, I was kind of at a crossroads. I was at Goldman and I was either gonna spend all this bread to go to get an MBA, or I was gonna spend this bread to shoot to shoot content. And the reason I chose to shoot content instead of trying to go get an MBA, just like you talking about, you know, about the, the boardroom to, to going through, like figuring out what your, your passion is, was because I talked to an individual at a, on a, um, I was on a college visit and he mentioned to me, he said, if you were to go to come out um, of the MBA program in the entertainment field, you would be still looking at numbers. You would just happen to be looking at numbers for Disney or Apple, whomever. Right. Like the only way to be talent is to create and be talent, to create yourself. No, yeah. Right. You got to just go create yourself. Don't come in here. Then you're going to come out the corporate job. You're going to be a suit. You're just going to be an NBA suit on the other side of it. Um, and that spoke to me a lot. And so then that's why I just said, all right, I'll just bet on myself. And just, instead of going, doing that route, I'll just go and put this money towards the content. So, so now, you know, since doing that, we've, um, we shot a series of short films we sold one um, that's we, we've licensed it out to um, to Amazon it will be coming out later on in, in February um, through, for Black History Month and you know we started doing music videos. Um, that's why we you were know, working on one last week. We have another one that should be dropping towards the end of February. I' me to you give ads. Us some info
1: on what's coming out on Amazon in February so our listeners on to look out for it title possibly. Yeah
2: yeah um yeah, so the, the title of the short film is, is called Clout. Um, it'll be available on Amazon um, February twenty sixth. Um, it's starring Denzel Whitaker, who was also in Black Panther. Um, he's also in Cutthroat um, City. Cutthroat um, City. Yeah, Cutthroat City is the name of it. There the, is the a movie that's on Netflix right now. Um, he was in that. Um, and yeah, and that's a, that's a a movie that's based around the mu- the music realm, where okay. Denzel goes and he's trying to start a music label and finding talent by crashing um, the parking lot of of music festivals. So it was all about like, you know, trying crashing music cloud. festival. Yeah, trying to trying to gain clout through the yes. crashing music festival. Perform perform in the parking lot, call it the let out tour, um, okay. essentially. And uh, and so, yeah, so we did doing that and then we released Balcony in Brooklyn um, in November. And that was based around a quarantine party. Um, and that essentially when we did that, we, we also sent out boxes to influencers to so they could enjoy the experience of watching the film and also feel like they're within quarantine by like, you know, have hand sanitizer and snacks and, and alcohol within within their box. Um, and yeah, for so that, that's another the film that, you know, we were most recently working on. And I know you're a Queens guy. Um, and, you know, you know, Jason Clark. in Queens. Jason
1: Clark. Jason Clark. What he's running
2: for um, City City Council, I believe. I think he's running for, for City Council. And um, we, we shot a political video. We shot a political advertisement for him. So um, so, yeah, so, you know, coming through like the, you know, from the film perspective, then you know, we're able to kind of navigate these other avenues of ways to create content while the passion is obviously selling our own projects, writing it mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, be able to shoot and, um, and tell our stories or especially if we're focused on diverse perspectives. That's really what our main focus is. Um, and then we're also able to go and shoot content you know, from other avenues as well.
1: The adult man. I mean, and you guys doing it from different angles. Like you said, you have the content, you have the short films. Um, you're also getting tapped with influencers, and you're also using a production house to monetize by, you know, shooting political ads and and, and campaigns and things of that nature too. I love it, man. I'm gonna we're definitely gonna tap into clout. You said February 26th on Amazon. February 26 on Amazon, yeah. And we're gonna definitely check it out, man. We'll hope to give it a good review on our show. And um, salute to you and Dennis, bro. I mean, I, you know, love to see, you know, two cats that I know personally, you know, just expanding and and, and going into entrepreneur space outside of the nine to five. And that's, that's what we promote here from the block to the boardroom, Dr. J and I, two versatile individuals. And, you know, we have our careers that we're passionate about and some of that fuses into our regular life, but we're also so much, and so, and so many of our listeners, you know, a lot of us um, people of color we're so much bigger than what our day-to-day job is, you know, because right. the, just the way we grew up it spans from so many spaces, from the block to the boardroom. I'm um, going off of that. You had even mentioned that Brent Pfizer gave you um, guys some music for for one of the films. We're gonna segue into music. Jay, what's 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 going on? Um, skip over that. You wanna skip over music? You ain't really feeling nothing. You ain't feeling nothing in the industry not, right
0: I'm not, now. I'm not specific artists we were gonna talk about
1: before. Oh uh, man, I think some went down. We we had an artist we was gonna talk about, but uh we we, we gonna we're gonna bypass that <laughs> right now. Jess anything that you feeling music wise I know you I know you said that uh Brent Fires uh, I had helped y'all with your last project. Um anything that you've been yeah. tapped into anything that you've liked um, upcoming trends maybe you see from a business aspect in the industry um I mean
2: I think well, I, I've been focused a lot on on like the, the film side because I, I was just recently re- reading this um the, this head headline that um Apple just acquired a, a movie from from the Sundance Film Festival for twenty five million dollars is the most that they've ever spent. So i have seen like at the acquisition world. Um, and a what's lot of these that streaming That's there. like
1: for the rights for the film.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For
1: the full for the full rights for the film.
2: Yeah. So they can so that wow. you can go to Apple um Apple Plus and just watch it there. You can't watch it on. Netflix yes, right. or other, so I think so. I think that's a big trend that I'm seeing is that a lot of these streamers, so many streamers out there now, they have to find a way to drive traffic there. And the way they're doing that is, is by acquiring and, and and getting content and getting like the top content, right? Like I think people joined Peacock recently solely because The Office is going to be on Peacock now and it's yeah. not on not on Netflix anymore. So like, that's a big trend right there in the industry. And I think from from a music perspective, I think that that's something that's also um, Pretty prevalent, not as much now because people before were doing like exclusive releases and people aren't doing that anymore. Um, but but yeah, I mean that's that's one trend that I've been paying attention to. Music-wise, I've been listening to um, a lot of Griselda. Um, I like I like what they did. I think um, I think Griselda had the best year, the best year for hip hop last year, the best team um, from a hip hop perspective last year. Um, that, was, that was some of the favorite tapes that I had, whether it be the Benny tape or on um, the West Side Gun tape. Um, Conway's was hard. From, so. Yeah, yeah. Conway's was hard. Conway's was super hard. Uh, you know, recently I've been listening to that. Um, Larry June Numbers. I think that album is really dope. very um, yeah, I like his
1: style.
2: Yeah, I like Larry June. Um, I like this cat named Blast. Um, B L A. It's spelled B L X S T. Um, I he. Some like kind of R and B sound, right? Yeah, he's like kind I feel of RB. Like, he feel did like the um, a few of stuff. You probably heard the joint. He remade. Uh, he re- he remade the Donnell Jones track. That that all this okay. love track. He remade that to um, It's called Overrated. Um, okay. And like the production company that we're working with for our past um for this past music video, they do all his music videos. So um and he's, he's he's making a big buzz right now. And and yeah and like and then outside of that, I'm listening to a lot of like K Trinata, like a lot of like some of that, that Black House um, Black House music that hopefully I can hear outside. So you know, once scared, well, I was gonna, gonna ask because you know that,
1: that's that's definitely been yeah. affecting um hip hop um right now with, with the lack of touring. Yeah. Y- y- you're seeing more advertisement, um, sponsorship songs. Uh, recently, there was just a remake to Gloria Estefan's 1985 hit "Conga." Come on, baby, let me do that. Yeah. You know that um, yeah. Meek Mill and uh, and uh, artist Leslie Grace and producer Boy Wonder did a Bacardi commercial to to mm-hmm. that, but made a video out of it, and um, right. you know stuff like like you know. Stuff like that is for for the, ad, the advertisement check is, is a big check especially when you're not yeah. touring right now so we're gonna see that throughout the industry from hip hop through pop fusions different things um you was touching on 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 the the black house style that's very based on people being outside and and going yeah. to events um I know there's been some stuff on Twitch and things of that nature do you see any kind of business pivot that they'll make um. In, in the rest of this pandemic before they can really get back to actually performing or, or having parties, because it's a, it's a very organic base, you know, like you kind of got to yeah. be there, and that's how it grows.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm like curious to see. So what I think is going to happen, I, people are doing for like a lot of like live experiences, you do touched on Twitch is one of them, um, but there's a lot of people that are doing like these uh, like live performances and starting to pay people subscriptions to 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 be able to see some of those perform- performances. Um, I think I think you're gonna see a lot of artists hopping on OnlyFans, honestly. And then using OnlyFans, is not like the the sexual like allure that it has, but use it for like back backstage content and be able to watch mm. performances that you have to get a subscription for. Like I think for that's it. gonna be the It's gonna be the subscription based um, live performance for for the individual that doesn't feel comfortable going. Um, into a concert. Right? And you could go on to an OnlyFans or, or another and type and that, of... And, that,
1: and that's a good way to, like you said, to flip OnlyFans from what it's commonly known as. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is Dude, which actually a a, how it, where, it, where it started. That's where, so where it started. That's where it started before it segued to, you know, to the porn star world. <laughs>
2: Dude, well, the porn star just saw it as a lick. They're like, oh, bet. Yeah, like, yeah, this is yeah, a way, of, like, a lot, I'm not, yeah. why am I going through these large companies to get my check? Like, I can just right. go through this and I can do whatever I want and get a check from it. Because um, people mm-hmm. are going to pay to see me anyway, and, and I'm not getting a check from Pornhub, so why not just do that? But right. it's already happened. Like Fat Joe and DJ Khaled are playing a one-on-one basketball game streamed through OnlyFans. Like they just posted about that like a couple
1: of days wow. ago. And, and fans people are going to like. Pay. I mean, I'm not personally interested, but I'm sure fans it is will pay yeah, or subscribe to watch great. them play. <laughs> too old. Exactly. Go watch Those
2: them run around crazy.
0: That also comes
2: out. <laughs> right, right. Yo, seeing them look crazy yeah. playing
0: ball. You know what I'm saying? It comes down to which fans and how many fans. Like there's a lot of people who, they're not gonna log onto OnlyFans or they're not gonna participate in it just because of the stigma behind it Mm. and because of how Mm -hmm. stigma runs so deeply in our culture. But then also with the way that music is released, people, you have artists that release music all the time just to release it. Like, here, let me just put it out there. So them trying to convince somebody to sit still in a house and log onto OnlyFans and have this, it may not be as successful as people think that they that is going to be when they try to pivot that way, which might be another reason why a lot of labels don't push their artists to that, and a lot of them are pushing them into these crowded markets that are semi-open, like Florida, Houston, and Atlanta.
2: Mm. Yeah, take, take. not take. feeling on that. I also look at it like like Versus has, has shown that there's a place in the market where people are willing to sit down and watch like some two two individuals perform if they have like enough cash, you know? Right. Like people are really set, like-
0: No, i was saying, but Versus know. also comes from two of probably the best four producers of all time. So it's, mm-hmm. it's also gotta come down to, can somebody else replicate that without, cause you know, right. there's people that's not gonna get on Versus just because they don't get along with Timberland or with Swiss, right? Like Drake is never doing the versus just because of his relationship or lack thereof with Swiss. And that also mm-hmm. means that anybody in Drake's camp or possibly close to Drake is probably not going to do it, right? Um, right. So I, I do agree that versus has really captured that audience and they've really changed something and been very innovative. But when you talk about replicating it, it becomes much, much tougher.
2: Yeah, I mean, Logic signed a deal with like so Logic's like, hey, I'm gonna leave the rap game, but then he signed a deal with Twitch because people are willing to go on and watch him literally do anything, whether it be play a video game or, or hear him rap. So I do think that 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 platform can be duplicated if there's you know somebody that can be more of a um more of a neutral that has enough relationships. Like I I think if DJ Khaled did DJ Khaled's one of those few guys that has literally no enemies in the industry, you know versus like uh a, a Twiz and timid as you mentioned so i think it's like
1: those types it of had, it has such a vast following like across across like maybe right. a lot of people might not even realize some of the some of the people that, that check forman has found might might not even be familiar with the we the best era or the or the music he's executive they are not even they're not yeah. even hip hop heads they look at him as right. it's bigger than music at this point they see him as a pop star Snapchat. really you know yeah. a figure I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 I see I see the angle you, you're looking at Brothers, um, it's the last Sunday before the Super Bowl. Super Bowl take, Jay. You on the hot seat? Who's winning? The Chiefs. What we'll spread? the we'll spread, brother?
0: I think the current spread right now is think's
1: under a touchdown. Hard to find Wait, out where, where you sport. see that? What do you see that? Um, Chiefs winning.
0: I feel the Chiefs winning. Um, I think it's going to be close though. Well, I would say it's probably going to be a one-score game, just because of the nature of Tom Brady in these games, mm-hmm. but. The Chiefs have shown that when they play teams they've already played in a regular season, they tend to smack them around. True. And they've already played Tampa once. And the last time Tampa played a team that beat them, they had to play them a third time to get over the hump, which was New Orleans. Last week. Yep. I think the, the Chiefs are going to be very well prepared, very well coached, and they have just, they got more firepower than Tampa had and Tampa has a whole lot of firepower. firepower. Yep. So, you know, but you only got to be good for 60 minutes. Right? See where like it's, goes. It's, it's one Sunday. Anything happened on that Sunday? But if I had to pick right now, I'm going with Patty Mahomes. Um, and that's also because I paid for going against Patty Mahomes. So I'm going with um, Mahomes. Protect your
1: pocket. Jess, what you thinking, bro? Who who you picking, and and what you think the margin's going to be?
2: Um, uh, um, uh, the Chiefs by fourteen. Um, first Man, of all, you got fourteen. Go against...
1: You open it up.
2: Yeah, I think. 14, you think Tyree was...
1: killing them boys and Kelsey going to have a field day, huh?
2: Yeah, the only thing I'm worried about is because they're not going to have their tackle. Um, he did get hurt, but I still, one, I'm not going against a black quarterback, that's first and foremost. Mm. Two, the black offense coordinator, those schemes that he's been doing are crazy. Like, it's not even like Kelsey has to, like, break open. Like, these schemes have really broken him open and made him, like, a formidable force. And then, two, I, I just think I, I don't see, but like um, like Jay mentioned, I, I don't see them having, um, the Bucks. don't have enough firepower.
1: What about a dude like Leonard Finette, though? I mean, we know Tom Brady's a white guy, he's a face. Um, but what, yeah. what about a brother like Leonard Finette, who, um, you know, is kind of getting his redemption right now in Tampa from things not going too well in Jacksonville? Yeah. I mean, it's not just for him. No, he's and right. I respect Antonio it. Like, I think he also back. getting get his redemption. You know, like, yeah. There's, yeah. there's some I mean, people I'm outside happy that-, that, 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 that you could find a, a rooting story for outside of Tom Brady. I know people say, like, we're not rooting for the, you know, going against the black <laughs> quarterback. But is, there's, some, there's some athletes on Tampa that, you know that are connected to the culture. Yeah,
2: I'm happy. Well, one, I like. I've always liked Leonard since college. Um, I'm happy about um, about Antonio Brown. I think that's a really cool story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that him just making it to the Super Bowl at all because he got an extra check just for getting a certain amount of catches. I can't remember yep. what it was. Um, and and the Tom Brady, you know, fed him that catch up before the end of the season. And I'm sure he's obviously more incentivized also just to even getting into the Super Bowl. So he made a lot of bread at a time when a lot of people thought he was it was over and he was finished. So I really respect that, but. I mean we we're, we're, we're watching right now we're watching we're watching Kobe we're watching Michael we're watching that in, in Mahomes right now like this is like this is this is right now about to be like Kobe
1: versus Jordan in the game that, that's a perfect segue so I want to I want to get y'all take on something that Stephen A said um I didn't agree with this at all but you know Patrick Mahomes is on on the path to greatness right now I think he's 25 or is he under 25 24 25 but he's he's right there um already won one Super Bowl last year back-to-back appearances in the Super Bowl, highly favored to win again this year. Um, It's common consensus on the show. I'll put my pick in there as well. I'm saying Chiefs. So all three of us think that that he'll probably get a second one. But Stephen Mm. A had a take where he said that Mahomes would not be able to be mentioned in the same breath, uh, in, in the same group as Tom Brady if he doesn't beat him in this Super Bowl right here. And... I couldn't really understand. I wanted you all to take it. In. I couldn't really understand the logic that he was employing with that because I'm like, okay, even if Tom Brady's lost Super Bowls too. So as long as he, if he loses this one, if he gets as many championships in the end as Tom Brady has, and the ratio is the same, if not better, how by when it's, when it's all said and done, he could never be mentioned in the same group as this guy just because he didn't beat him in one Super Bowl?
0: Well, it's because when you look at it, when you look at them right now, if Tom Brady wins this one, Right. He has another Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes is probably never going to be able to face Tom Brady again in another Super Bowl unless both teams run it back next year. Right. Because Brady's at the end. Right. So if we come down to the end of our careers being compared and we have a similar amount of Super Bowls, but I beat you for one of them, Mm, I'm elevated overview automatically, just in the spirit of. Competition and people compete. That
1: when we did go head to head, I got you. Yeah. Even though in the end, you may yeah. have caught up to my records, surpassed my records. Last like week, okay. But we
0: faced. It's kind of like when everybody. was like the Kobe Jordan Lebron situation and the Bulls and Kobe the, to face each other in that ninety six to ninety eight era. When especially once Shaq went back over in ninety seven ninety eight, mm. we went back to the Lakers and they wanted to see Kobe and Shaq versus Mike. Right. If they would have faced each other and Mike beat Kobe in the finals, like, it's just definite at that point. You can't put Kobe over Mike under any circumstance if they finish with the same number of championships and one of my chips is over you.
1: It's over you. That's a good take. Jess, yeah. what's your take I don't, on that? Well, I,
2: I think that it, I think what he's saying is a lot of truth for that. And I think it's also because, like, if you look at both of them on paper, nobody has a great advantage team-wise over the other. So I think it was, it was a situation where it was like, oh, you know, Brady has, um, a lot better of a team, then it's like okay, then yeah, Mahomes can lose and it's still okay. But on paper, he's the favorite. Like Mahomes is already a favorite, so you kind of got to give him that benefit of the doubt that because he is the favorite and he has a team that's like this should be good enough to win this, then it's his. There's another there's another situation where you look at other people and also Brady's old, right? Like you can't lose to a forty something year old Brady when you're in the prime <laughs> of your career. Like if it's like trash, right? Yeah,
1: you got the moment right now. Right, like what? That's
2: like trash. if Kobe, if Kobe lost to Mike, and when Mike is in the Wizards, like what do you, like
1: what are we talking about?
2: You know, So Like that, that's not supposed to be able to happen.
1: Super Bowl Sunday, man. It's gonna be great. Jesse Martin, Campsite Studios, Clout coming February twenty sixth to Amazon, giving us some financial knowledge as well. Appreciate you joining in, man. Appreciate you joining in from the block to the boardroom. Trev, well, Doctor J,
0: that.
1: it's been great. Peace, y'all.
0: Been great. Thanks for joining us, brother. We appreciate you.